Hey guys, I'm Danny. And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast. Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family, from the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Your Living Proof Podcast, here with this beautiful, blonde, strong, brave woman. I'm, I'm looking beat today, guys, no, if she's that's not. the truth. No, she's not. <laughs> we are still in our gym clothes. Yeah. We dropped our kids off to school 30 minutes late. We had a rough late. morning. No, it, yeah. <laughs> hey, no, before we get started, because we've got a cool topic, we're laying in bed this morning. We've we've been in quite a little argument for the last couple of days. You know, those arguments where you walk past each other and you're not talking for a little bit. You're kind of working through, <laughs> working through some things that happened. Anyway, um, I guess we worked through them because this morning I reached over and she let me hold her and so we're laying in bed it's early i don't know it's like 6 30 in the morning and yeah i just put her in my arms and we were just kind of snuggling and uh all of a sudden i hear this <laughs> stomp mom mom i'm gonna throw up <laughs> and our son had ran upstairs so here i am embracing this moment i'm like oh she's finally forgiven me i'm out of the doghouse i'm like holding her and our son comes like, up i'm gonna puke and <laughs> he it was bad yeah poor guy i don't I know. know if he ate something bad or something but yeah one of those but moments we've all had those moments in life where you're like it's coming out both sides and so we went from this little blissful moment to to straight like hardcore parenting yeah we're looking at each other i'm wiping the floor with clorox wipes and yep. looking up at her and she's taking care of him and i'm like well here yeah. we go it's just I guess like we're the reality of of like family life. It is seriously like it never ceases to amaze me how absolutely incredible and beautiful it can be. And then like absolutely the most brutal thing. Yeah. And <laughs> if you're listening, I'm sure you've experienced the same. So it's good to know we're all the same. Yep. We're all going There's through moments it. where we're all elated with joy and other moments where we're going to kill each other. Yeah. Or just you want to cry because you're so tired. Yeah. And <laughs> the other news in the Deaton home is last week, our son, Dominic, our oldest, um, experienced the first for him, which was a broken bone. Yeah. Um, he's broken his foot and it wasn't well, the, the ironic part is it wasn't motocross. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people think, Oh, it's dangerous. No, it wasn't motocross. It wasn't tackle football. Again, something else that's perceived as dangerous. He broke his foot at a stupid trampoline park for a birthday party. And actually, <laughs> I've had several people tell me the same thing. So those trampoline parks are awesome, but I guess also a little. Yeah, but not worth it. I'm telling you, I'm like, he he never has gotten hurt doing motocross. And I'm like, because he's in like body armor. Like, yeah, well, he's he geared up. Yeah, get hurt. He's and then the protective gear. Same with football. It's, so, it is. Anyway. And I, I'm grateful I escaped. Uh, <laughs> I escaped like a serious dad fail. Right. My initial response is yeah. you're fine. You just stubbed it. No big deal, son. You're going to do that a lot. You're going to stub your fingers, jam your fingers and toes. Like no big deal. You'll be sprain, fine. A little sprain. Yeah. I was like, just be cool. You'll be just, just tough your way through it. The next day comes dad. It really hurts. It really hurts. I'm looking at it. It's pretty swollen. It's getting worse. And then the third day, no, it's yeah. The yeah. third morning he's like, dad, it hurts so bad. I said, okay, we'll go get it checked out. And sure enough. Yeah. But my brother, on the other hand, I love him. He's one of my best friends. His son broke his arm. They didn't find out till almost over a week later. Yeah. Poor guy was complaining every day and going, he has a broken arm. So there are those dad fail moments, but it's I only good. failed for two days. Yeah. We made it. 
Well, we're grateful to be back with you guys. Um, I've had some powerful experiences with people I've worked with this week. Going to share a few of those, but the topic today, why don't you go ahead and lead us? The topic us. is deception mm. and how, how it works. And I want you to know like how we came up with this. And it's, it's from Danny's actual experience because here's the thing that all, it, it still shocks me. Like it still shocks me to know that for eight years, Danny was doing self-medicating, doing drugs, consuming alcohol and porn daily, daily, multiple times daily even. And no one really knew. And I think that that is shocking to a lot of people like, oh, so he was living a double life. Like, I don't get it. Like, how? what do you mean people didn't know? But they really, truly didn't. No, so, and we we made a post with a lot of this content on, recently on our Instagram page. And it was incredible how many people were talking yeah. about having had experienced that same thing. Yeah. Whether it was a perspective from a sister or a wife or a mom or dad is it was I don't know. In in a couple of years, it might have been the most reactions or yeah, interactions. It, I guess is what you should say from yeah. people on anything we've posted. Yeah. So I I guess like I want to just ask you because I know everybody else wants to ask you is how on earth did that happen? How is that possible that you you were doing those things every day um, while you know either living in your parents' home? or living with another person um and no one no one really knew about this issue in the beginning it's extremely easy to hide extremely I mean, I get easy that with like porn but the other things as well it's extremely easy and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna fast forward and then step back fast forward is eventually and always with everyone people discover things and they find things out and they're like, aha, or they see something or they notice like, oh my gosh, why does he have this prescription bottle in here? Or where did, where did half, I swear, I, I hadn't even consumed half of my pills are almost gone. There's these little moments, right? Yeah. Where you're like, oh, that's weird. My mom's like, gosh, I swear I had $50 in my purse. There's a, a myriad of these little simple things that are discovered. <laughs> now, if you're living in a house with your friends, that wouldn't slide. Sure. But within our family, there's yeah. just this kind of like, oh, well, I don't know. We're so good at like just giving the benefit of the doubt, brushing sure. things off. Or in our case, I like to just really just take things, pick our battles is what we call it. Yeah. Yeah. So That's some true. things you just kind of forget and move on. So in the beginning, it is harmless. And it's, I'm not talking about from a perspective of a loved one. Me, when I began self-medicating with opioids... Mm-hmm. it was a very low dose. It was as much or less than maybe what a doctor would prescribe you. And although it wasn't prescribed, I was dealing with serious ailments and pains. And so that medication, I rationalized it with myself of going, oh, this makes me feel better. We all know, we've talked about this before, that all addictions are progressive. Well, the very beginning is is very methodical and it's, it's slow growing. You don't see there it as being any problem. It's almost that mentality of a white lie. Like for a while, you don't even have to lie about it because you can just hide it. Yeah. And I guess that makes sense too. And cause I'm thinking as 
from my perspective, which would be like, well, how do you, how are you justifying like hiding it? Like it, the fact that you're hiding it means that you probably know that it's wrong, but you're still doing it. Yeah. Because you're able to rationalize it. And that stems from being able to blame it on something or excuses to why you're doing it. Mm. And it helps you rationalize it. So mine, for example, was pain. Okay. Yep. I know maybe I shouldn't do it or there could be an argument that I shouldn't do it, but it's helping me. Yeah. It is helping me. And I can't at this point, remember this, is the beginning stages, I can't see any ways in which it's hurting me. Yeah. And I think that's interesting to hear that because I, I've heard that before with when I've talked to other women about like their husband's pornography problem is that they are being told by their spouse, like, it's not hurting you. You know, it's not hurting you. And it, it's helping me not feel, you know, so frustrated or so. Oh, do you know how many times I've heard this in the beginning stages of pornography addiction? Oh, I, if anything, this helps my wife because it takes the pressure off of her. That's what I mean. Is it, That's so interesting to hear how it translates into the different. It's the beginning stage. You don't see the threat of it because yeah. the threat is not there yet. Yeah. The threat's coming. It it feels like, well, yeah, no, I can just do that and then it doesn't it's not hurting anybody, including myself, right? If, if the I user. yes. If I had two pain pills in my system at the beginning stages, I was better at work. I was able to do my home, my school college work better. I was able to function better as a person. I was happier to be around. I slept better, I felt better. It made total sense to me. Yeah, that's interesting cuz I'm thinking like I'm a, I'm the type of person that like I can't take pain medication. I I will basically do anything to not take pain medication. Yeah, I, I don't like how it feels. It makes me feel sick. I it's a, it's horrible. So when I think about like the how, I'm like, how do you go to college and be on drugs? Like, how do you actually go to work and feel that way? Because I'm associating it with a terrible feeling. Well, there's something for everyone. There's a smorgasbord of, of options. Now, there are people who do not like the feeling of opioids. There's others who the heavens opened, the angels are blowing their trumpets, and it's the feeling they've been looking for their whole life. Okay, so if that doesn't, is that not your cup of tea? Well, there's sexual addictions. If that's yeah. not your cup of tea, there's food. Yeah. If that's not your, your cup of tea, there's alcohol. And I recently was working with a young man and had, had multiple th- things affecting him bullying, not feeling like he had any friends, the pressures of social media, just constantly comparing himself to the thousand mirrors he's looking at in his phone, working a construction job, trying to be an awesome young man, finds out guys on the construction site drinking. He tries it out just out of curiosity. He's just literally carrying the weight of the world. Mm -hmm. And instantly, just within a few sips of that alcohol going into his system, feel better now he knows looking at it you're like okay i shouldn't be doing that but he doesn't see the the threat yet he doesn't see that potential threat Well, because he can still do his job i'm not going to be an alcoholic i'm not going to drink all the time but right now my goodness this really helps yeah yeah so it's interesting because in my mind i'm like that sounds like a double life like that's starting to sound like a double life where you're like one person yeah you're, you're getting you're getting too far ahead of yourself it becomes that. Yeah. There's no, there's no double life. You're just able to be a better person. 
So all of this stems from one thing. You are able to rationalize your behavior in the beginning so easily. Yeah. Regardless of the morals that you live your life by, because you see it as something to help benefit you to be better. And no one fears. There's not a single person who looks and goes, oh, yeah, I have a high probability of becoming an addict or an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, nobody thinks that. Because no one in the history of mankind has ever felt that way because we're all so different and unique in our own mind. Yeah. And that we'll never be like those people. Yeah. So there's no threat. There's not a threat to yourself. There's not a threat to anyone else. So you're easy, you're, you can easily rash, rationalize and justify it. Yeah. 100%. At, at the beginning. I get it. The that. very beginning stages. It's it's progressive. Okay, but you said I was getting ahead of myself, but I, I want to know at what point does it make that shift, right? From I'm not hurting anybody. I can totally rationalize this and I can totally function the way I want to, to I'm now living that double life. Like now, now I am having to cover some more tracks. Maybe now I'm getting a little sloppy in some areas. Okay. There's a great power in substances, alcohol, porn, drugs. They, they have a significant power. However, here's a good example to answer that question. Just yesterday, I was playing golf. I got paired up. It's with this group called Good Time Golf. It's a sober support group. It's awesome. That helps people through the game of golf that are in recovery to network, to fellowship, to surround themselves with awesome people. There was a guy there, extremely successful, older than me. Guy's in incredible shape, incredibly good looking guy who's made plenty of money. And throughout that few hours we were together, he shared his story with me. Because of course I shared mine. Mm-hmm. And so he ends up telling me his. And he used this example of the 90 and 10. Mm. 90% of his life, he was doing everything, relentlessly working, providing for his family, doing co- church callings, church duties, civil duties, volunteering in the community, coaching for everything that the world would need of him. Yeah, like living your, his best life. His family and everyone else he can. Yeah. 90% of the time. Now, he traveled a lot for work. Over the, over the years of traveling, there's a lot of pressures. There's the stress. There's the time away, putting yourself in situations, the clientele he's working with. He's surrounded by alcohol at every meal, every event. Long story short, he starts consuming alcohol, having never had done that in his younger years. It is, yeah, that's interesting. Okay? And you, I could give you a long list of how that built up to get to that vulnerable point. There, there was a lot. Okay, let's not get to that point. What he shared, though, was the 90 and 10. So for several years, he lived this, what you call a double life. Yeah. But never in his mind did that. The double life was 90% of the time he was doing everything he was supposed to do. Yeah, but he didn't. What I'm saying is he didn't see it as as what you just said. Yeah. Because the way you say it as an outsider is it makes it kind of look bad. (laughs) Yeah. It was completely justified because 90% of the time he's doing everything this 10%, he's out put in these situations anyway. So it's not like he's taking time away. This 10%, it is. It's that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's that, yeah. it's that double life. Yes. That 10% started out with just a drink at dinner. Oh, I go home and sleep. I don't miss my family. I'm not so stressed out from work. To full-blown binge drinking. Yeah. And what that always leads to being unfaithful and unloyal to your to your spouse that leads to several other things right yeah. it's 
all progressive. So how do you live that double life? <laughs> Drugs and alcohol have a powerful effect. Yeah. Pornography has even more of an effect, ha- holds more power than these other things I mentioned. You can't even see that you're doing it. Yeah. All throughout, you're able to rationalize and justify. Now, to your sake, things start to progress. Yeah. For this man that I, 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 wor- I played golf with and explained it, it got to a pretty ugly point. Yeah. Right? And that that's interesting because it's like, at what point does it kind of all compound and catch up with you and people, your stories kind of start to unravel? Yeah. Right? I call it the 10 chapter book of your addiction. And listen, that word addiction, I know it's hard for some, it resonates with others. Your addictive tendencies, bad behaviors, whatever the bad hell habits. you want to call them. Yeah. It's a 10 chapter book. We all read books. And then if you read a 10 chapter book, I just read one with my boys. It was awesome. What was that one? It was called uh, Refuge or? No, the one about 9 11. I can't remember. Oh, it was awesome. Okay. It was awesome. The first few chapters of this book are somewhat eventful, right? They're building the plot, they're telling you the story, they're setting the stage, they're explaining the characters. It's the same with someone's addiction. In the beginning, it's just kind of, you know, setting the stage, it's, it's kind of, the story's beginning. And then all of a sudden you have in chapters six and seven, you start to get a little bit of action. And that's maybe what we're talking about right here. Yeah. Okay. Things are getting intense. You know, the climax of the story is coming up. Every person has a 10 chapter book of addiction, but it unfortunately isn't. So let's say someone lives in their addiction for eight years. The first four years are pretty uneventful. They're able to function, cover their tracks, hide all the things necessary. They're even able to do the things in life they need to do. But then the story starts to build and the person's addiction starts to build. And there becomes a point where you can't cover up the lies. Yeah. It all stems from that. You're really good still at covering up maybe even financial stuff, hiding the paraphernalia, being able to get away with dilated pupils, whatever it is. You can't even perform sexually with your wife because you've been looking at porn all day and you can blame it on a stomachache, but you can't, the lies start to catch up. Mm -hmm. So it's at that point when the lies are more than you can handle. You have like four or five lives to cover up every lie. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, what I think is super interesting about that is that I know that for you, you experienced that and, and you were able to like kind of manipulate people around you to a certain point but then it's super fascinating to me that then when it became blatantly obvious right you're you're falling asleep at the dinner table at family dinner you you fall asleep you could still manipulate your family into feeling like they had the problem like if they pointed it out to you well what's going on Oh my gosh, why are you being so judgmental? You know, I mean, I've I've just heard this from your own siblings and I I know that you're not the only one that's experienced this. It's incredible to me though that they will even say like no, like when we would we would all kind of call him out, he would instantly reverse it and make it like that we had a problem, oh. not him. You could resort to pulling the damn fire alarm. Yeah. They could just run over and pull the fire alarm so everyone has to leave and then they kind of forget about what we were talking about. 
but you do that so-called fire alarm by creating a problem, starting an argument, starting a fight, blaming someone, pointing out something someone actually maybe did that was wrong. Yeah. And you just deflect everything off of you. This was where it comes down to the argument in the world of is addiction a moral breakdown or is it an illness in the brain? My personal humble opinion is it always starts with a moral breakdown. At some point you made a poor choice, but also it always turns in to an actual illness in your brain. Yeah. Where, where you no longer have the use of your yeah. like cognitive. Now, if you're in the, skills. if you're in chapters one, two or three of your 10 chapter book, eh, you probably don't have a yeah. developed illness in your brain. Yeah. You just need to get it together. And that's where I want to help more people is when they're right there. However, after your fifth, sixth, seventh chapter, which means years of usage, it rewires your brain. Yeah. That thing you're using, consuming, any sort of drug, alcohol, sexual thing, is your umbilical cord to life. It is the CO2 yeah. necessary to function. It's like oxygen. So in order to protect and cover up what you need to feel the way you need to feel, it is as easy to do as breathing. Yeah. Because that is your lifeline. There, At this point, people, I think they have moments, because I did. I sure had several where I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a problem. I got to stop. Like, it's this is going to, I'm going to get in trouble. Like, this is all going to crash down. And so you start to attempt. And this is where it gets really hard. Because you start to do it on your own, right? I'm just going to quit. I'm, I, I, I'm going to have the willpower to do this. And everyone fails. And it adds to the actual illness rotting in your brain is because you can't. So you start to realize that you can't do it. And every, every attempt you do to try to maybe take this out of your life to stop doing it, you fail. So not only are you now living this double life, except it's shifting because people can see you yeah. look like an addict. You smell like an addict. Your life is pathetic. Yeah. You've lost your job. I mean, we're now progressing to the eighth and ninth chapters of this book. You need it so bad. And you've tried on your own so many times and realized that you failed that it's just in this place of survival. Yeah. And the power that it has, again, we discredit, we don't give enough power to these things. Why are millions of people's life, why are they ending up homeless and dead and families being destroyed left and right? It's because these things hold a power. Yeah. A power enough to hold you hostage. Well, and to keep, yeah, literally to keep you from progressing in any way. And and quite frankly, to just make you a complete tornado to everyone around you. Yep. Everyone. Yep. And they could be begging you and consequences could be crashing all around you and on top of you. And it doesn't matter. I I have to share real quick because we're going to wrap this up. A recent family I worked with was just so beautiful. Incredible. Everyone from mom and dad all the way down to this person's children, their siblings, their spouse. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm talking about all state type of athlete. Incredibly intelligent straight a student beautiful man when you look at him and it's like everything's perfect it's got to this point where the children have been there's not been abuse but they've been put into dangerous situations there's been a lot of threats both physical and verbal there's been destruction meaning physically destroying parts of the home vehicles i mean it's gotten to this point where this person is a monster Mm mm-hmm 
But if you rewind his life quite a bit, he was the sweetest, kindest, most gifted, talented person. I see this transition all the time and family members get to the point where they're looking at him and I know how most of them feel. We can't detach and not love someone mm-hmm. in our family. But the resentment start to build, the anger, the hatred, the the fear. When someone that you've grown up with eventually makes you almost fearful for your life, you look at them in a way that you want them to die. Yeah. Oh, I've and I've heard that a oh, lot. Oh, I hear it daily. It, it gets to the point where someone breaks down. Is like, is it bad that I just wish they would die? Right. I just want you to know and remember, I don't care who out there wants to argue with me on this, that is no longer your son. That is no longer your husband or your brother. Now you look at them, of course, physically they're there still. So there's this argument. Well, no, they're there. They just need to knock it off. Oh my gosh, I can't stand how often I hear that. Yeah. If they were in stages or chapters one, two, or three of that 10 chapter book I talked about, sure, let's knock it off. Let's set some stricter rules. Let's, you know, approach it differently. If they're now in chapters eight and nine, yeah. 10, they're near death. They are gone. Yeah. They are completely held hostage by this and it manipulates everything they do. Yeah. So the argument of going, well, they're there. And how often I hear it when the, the typical story, the guy's now like 32, 36, 35, whatever it is. Well, he's a man now. What am I going to do? He has his own family. Like he's going to have to figure this shit out on his own. I'm sorry, mom. He can't. And every family looks at their loved one and doesn't see their loved one as like these other people that suffer. So they're looking at him and go, I know you. You were an, you were an all-star athlete, straight A student. Come on. Just a few years ago, I know that this would have made sense to you. So they just want them to stop. Yeah. You can't. They can't. I, I, I want to read something and we, we, we've, t- I think talked about it before, but I'm just going to read it again. And it's, it's a quote from um, Boyd K. Packer. And it says, addiction serves the design of the prince of darkness for it disrupts the channel to the Holy Spirit of truth. Addiction has the capacity to disconnect human will and nullify moral agency. And when I think about that, it's so powerful for any mother, wife, whoever, um, who is looking at their person going, this isn't you, like, come on, I know you. And I just, I just think we underestimate that power when we, when our human will, like our actual agency is removed, which can happen when we disconnect from, from the spirit, from our true selves, from our God, from our, our, the place that we came from, when we allow that to be taken from us, we do become ragdolls. Like we literally, like you're saying, don't have the ability to make a different choice at that time. Can it be recovered? Yes. And I'm sitting next to a person who, who worked really hard to, to make that happen. But in that time, when they are in active addiction and that disconnection, it, that, that connection has been completely severed, that is, it is. dark. That's you know, as dark as it can get. And again, just think about that 10 chapter book where your loved one is. Because when I was in chapters nine and 10, I had several near-death experiences, multiple times where I should have been gone because I'm to the end of the story. 
Yeah. <laughs> what little bits I can remember, because thankfully from the power of Jesus and the principles I've put into place, the application of it, I don't really harbor the feelings of what happened anymore. I can remember certain things. Sure. But I do have these little snippets of remembering, you know, there's a lot of movies out there people love that are these zombie movies. You and I don't yeah, like them, yeah. <laughs> but people love like these zombie apocalypse, yeah. right? And you see these humans that have now turned into, they get bitten or something, yeah. right? And they, yeah, they all just, of a sudden they start to twitch and transition to this thing. That is how I felt. Yeah. In the ninth and 10th chapter, that's how your loved one feels. Yeah. So you're looking at them and even though they look a little you can sick, see them. Yeah. you still look at them as this beautiful young man that you knew growing up but they are a zombie inside. Yeah. It's like that, 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 like they're walking and moving and acting not under their own accord. No. And that's why I, I, I just don't think there can be enough said about that and enough to absorb and to really, really consider when you're at that point, because it, it's powerful. And it, if you can make that shift in your yeah. mind, then you can tackle the problem differently. Um, so I just want to know, um, you know, we, we started this company and right at the beginning when we were just kind of trying to figure out like, okay, we know we can help people. I asked Danny just straight up, who do you want to help? Like, who is the person that you would like to help yeah, You the were most? like, how can we be most effective? Like, yeah, how can we have the like, biggest impact? Because Not we knew we didn't want to start a treatment center or anything like that. But like, we wanted to contribute to the solution of this huge, huge problem that is eating communities alive. And what was your response? Well, you know, financially, if you look and you're like, well, how am I going to make the most money doing this job would be having a treatment center. Yes. But I knew from correct. personal experience that would have never happened, nor would have been, if, would it have been effective had my family not learned how to help. So when you asked me that question, I remember closing my eyes and contemplating for quite some time. And all I could see was images of my mom and next to her when my dad individuals who had acquired success over their life, worked hard, who would have given anything. And I remember I've, I've heard my dad tell this story to so many people with, he sobs every time with tears coming out his eyes, just, I would have given every dollar. You know what? I would have given my life if I could have just helped him, if I could have taken that from him, if I could have just made him better. So when you ask me that question, who are we supposed to help? That's exactly the person I'm trying to help. It's that it's the wife mm -hmm. or the husband. It's the mom. It's the dad. It's that incredibly relentlessly powerful, loving sister screaming from the rooftops. Yeah. It's the family member who actually is living their life in a way that they can be of help. Yeah. They have the final man, financial means to maybe even support you. Yeah. They've got their stuff in order enough that they can emotionally help you. But they just don't know how. Because and that's they're the like difference. me going, yeah. Let me tell how? you why. That's how? the difference. It's you and I still to this day, even in this line of work, and as much as you know me and my story, we still argue the fact that it's how do you live this double life? How do you live with yourself? Yeah. I, take, I would take a pain pill, and it makes me feel so terrible. The reality is it's just different for you, and it's different for me. Yeah but there's something out there for everyone and no one is immune to this. No, no, one. no. there's many, many things that can do to take you down. So we want to help the families understand how to be more effective. Now, if your loved one is 36, 37, 38 years old with their own family and job, and you're wondering, well, like, what are we going to do? It doesn't matter. 
if it's the same approach as if they're 16 years old, they can't do it without you. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at recovery statistics, you'll hear different numbers, but the best number you'll hear these days, the most current reports show that 7% of people, they use a lot of statistics that say only 10% of people ever attempt to recover. And now they talk a lot about only 7% of people, even if they attempt ever recover period. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of reasons. Okay. There's inner city problems with homeless shelters and in, in, in the criminal system being revolving. There are so many influences, but there is a large percentage of these people who have a much better chance than 7%. Yes. Because they have a family left. I don't care how dysfunctional or maybe messed up the family is. There are people who love them, want to help them, want to support them, want to put a roof over their head. Yeah, they want they, a different outcome. They want to help. But not one of them understands how. Yeah. And why would you? Right. We all know that when you become effective at something in life, it's because you've gone through it and experienced it. Yeah. If you're overweight and you put relentless work and effort into it for years, all of a sudden you're the person telling the overweight person that just walked in the gym how to do it because you went through it. Yeah. It's the same with recovery from addictions that have held you hostage and almost taken your life and almost destroyed your family you're able to help them through your own experience. Yeah. And and that is why I love I love what we've done because I do see the reality of how it helps these families that are in a, in a stalemate. They're in a stalemate. Like they're they're not surrendering, but they're just kind of like, well, what can we do? Yeah. And and when when you see the transformation that takes place inside of their family unit when they readjust their mindset after they finish taking the um, four courses and they actually start moving towards being helpful. They move to a goal united. Yes. It's it's incredible. So we've put a lot of resources out there. Hopefully this podcast helps some of you on our website. We have some courses that helps families walk through this process. We have some of our social media pages where we try to put a lot of content to help with certain stages that you're at with your loved one. Yeah. But please reach out. Start the process. Please don't wait till chapters eight and nine. That's where everyone dies or their lives become irreversible wreckage. Yeah. And if you're there, that's where I was and it was still possible. It just required a lot of work and it would have never happened had my whole family not been united and learned how to do it because I couldn't do it without them. And if you have somebody that you love that's maybe in chapter two or three, know that you can help them. Oh, and now's the best time. And it's the very best time. On that note, last thing is a lot of people are like, ooh, I don't know if I don't want to talk about it. Maybe, you know. Yeah. That is your best chance to reverse this and cost you the le- it's the least financially impact. Yeah. Oh, okay? absolutely. It's yeah. also the less, less headache and stress on your marriage and the rest of your family because none of your other siblings have built these irreversible resentments. Yeah. Go dive in right then and there. You're not going to make the situation worse in any way, shape, or yeah amen well we love you guys there's a lot of things covered here today if you have any questions please reach out we always appreciate when you share this with somebody and for listening in um, makes us feel a lot better for sitting here talking into these mics hoping that it helps somebody so we love you guys have an awesome week see ya